You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as my other show, Enthusiasts, previously called How to Stan, visit 17caratkpop.weebly.com. And sign up for the show's free newsletter for interviews and much more at 17caratkpop.substack.com. Thank you! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. After thinking about Epic High's new album, Strawberry, for quite a while, I finalized and pinned down 17 main thoughts I have about it. Takeaways, thought-provoking aspects of it, ways to understand the group's appeal, 17 most notable details in this new release. You can catch my past reflections on previous Epic High releases in the episodes Epic High is here and Epic High is still here. And maybe if there's the demand, I will give you more Epic High discography deep dives in the future. Let's start with number one, the title. Honestly, knowing Epic High and their music for years now, I really kind of feel like it was a 50% chance we were going to find out they called it Strawberry just for fun. Like, no deep meaning. They just thought it sounded cool. And there was a 50% chance it had a real deep, profound meaning. Turns out it's actually a bit of both. They said in a recent interview that it's actually, first of all, because they like strawberries, but also it represents a lot to them. One thing that it can represent is, well, if you step on it, if it gets smushed, which it can easily, it's going to make a huge mess and look kind of like blood. Yeah, there's a lot to think about with that. But I mean, think about fruit analogies for a second. There's a sentence you probably have never heard before. There's no way they would have called this pineapple, right? Or watermelon. This is about feeling unprotected by a shell and making a mess of things easily. Now, leaving that impact, is it a mess? Or did you just make a splatter paint work of art? Different ways to look at it. I also like to maybe jokingly theorize that they were inspired by Lotso from Toy Story, the evil bear who smells like strawberries. That's one of his main traits. The story of a sad toy who is not loved and protected by his owner like he should be. You never know. It could have been intentional to bring that to mind. Number two, the color scheme. The album cover looks like the same shades as the colors in Epic Eyes Here Part 2. They had birds, now they have the picture of a car with some snow on it and some flowers. Again, they have just a funny, plainly stated, like it is, way about them and a deeper level. Because if you ask them what's the connection between those album covers, they probably would say, first of all, the bird goes to the flower. Plain and simple. But they would also probably elaborate that there's intent behind that detail, that comparison. To me, this is just my interpretation, but I think it's very meaningful that they show a car with snow on it, more than anything, because it's like representative of how it can take you places in life, but it's stalled because of the snow. So it represents possibility and the lack thereof. Just my thought. Again, there's usually 50% chance it means nothing, 50% chance it does. Number three. The way they set up the premise is subverted in terms of expectations. What a lot of groups do, or just any artist, is they kick off a release with their main theme, an introduction to what to expect, a thought-prompting question, some thought-provoking statement that then leads you to reflect as the album unfolds. 
They don't do that. They keep the opening pretty basic, lo-fi, just an instrumental for the most part. And they raise questions. They stoke a profound philosophical exercise at the very end. So instead of listening and feeling satisfied, like you're done thinking about this by the end, they compel you to play repeat because you're left in thought and then realize you might want to go back and re-listen to stuff and take time to contemplate while backed by the concentration-aiding lo-fi instrumentals. So great track list order. We're going to talk about that final track later. Number four, The Collaborators. I just love the way they talk about collaborators and describe it like their casting process. They never just, for clout's sake, pick someone. It's always very intentional, after very careful consideration, who not only would sound good, but sound genuine. Who could embody this character that the song is about? And so they said, the very specific sound we wanted for Catch, for example, was someone who says F you to haters in an elegant way. Yeah, not many people can balance that, but Hwasa can, which is why she was picked. I really respect how much care they put into that, because it could be so easy not to. And also just that commitment to not water down their vision for any song. Like with Rosario, they said they would not release it at all if they couldn't get CL on it. They believe so strongly in who's perfect for the part. They will release nothing less than their ideal vision 100% of the way. Number five, there's an interesting vulnerability wrapped inside an IDGAF attitude on catch. Because it starts defiant, like you'll never catch me. But in the middle is the vulnerability. Call me before you hit the ground, I'll be there to catch you. Like, I'm going to keep being the bigger person. Admitting kind of that pain of different consciences. You have more of a conscience than this other person. You could interpret it as being saying you're a doormat, but there are different ways to interpret it. There's an interesting juxtaposition too in On My Way, which starts with saying I'm on my villain arc, but later says just call and you know I'm on my way. Like, even though maybe my better judgment says stay away, I will come back to helping others. That's, again, just how I interpret it. Number six, I just love this line from Catch. My MBTI is IDGAF. I just love that, period. That may be my new go-to answer if people ask about my MBTI. Number seven, also from Catch. The lyrics, you stopped me when I ran, so thank you very much, and I hate you. To me, that seems to go back to the car in the snow, like something stopping you as you're about to go forward. So thank you for making me pause and reflect, but also I hate you for it. And they're really just talking about haters, stopping them from progress. So you could also just interpret the thank you as being sarcastic. Number eight, a little more from Catch. Lots to read into here with these lyrics. I'm not just self-made, I'm handmade. Success made by me. Even if you stab me right now, it's just a waste of time. Don't worry about me, even in the dark. I'll shine like a diamond. You'll never catch me. This seems an indirect nod to the whole character assassination campaign against Tablo years ago. I talked about that in the episode with Stephanie Karayuki from Vice about that podcast about it, so go to that for the full context. But he's basically defending his character, saying he earned his success, genuinely. And it's a cool touch to say, not just self-made, but handmade, which has different connotations. Because that adds to it an element of scrappiness isn't the right word for it, but a lack of material support compared to a professionalization of what you're trying to do. 
It implies just a harder work ethic and a more personalized, irreplicable focus. So self-made, people can follow in your footsteps. Handmade, no one can repeat it. That's why they say it's a waste of time to try to stab them, to try to smear them. Even in the dark, I'll shine like a diamond. Like they were handmade by pressure. Pressure creates diamonds that allows them to shine. You'll never catch me. Not just could be kind of the metaphor of catching someone, like in your arms, but catching in terms of catching up to them records-wise, accomplishments-wise. It's also possible it's about you trying to stop that running, but you can't stop them in their tracks like intended because you're actually behind them, not in front of them. Number nine, the repetition of certain lyrics. Repeated lines in some songs include when they sing, I quit my job today, sick of these songs. And then when they say, catch me when you're feeling down, before you hit the ground, I'll be there to catch you. It's interesting that two main lyrics they chose to repeat are about being there for someone else and not being there for yourself, quitting. Number 10, the sonic journey of the album is interesting. With the lo-fi start and finish, but the disco-tinged grooviness to catch, the more vibey, relatively, relatively upbeat songs are safe for the middle. So the listening experience is kind of like going up and down a hill, one big hill. Number 11, their commentary about it being brutal out here. Quote, human nature is no different than in animals. Showing each other sharp teeth, chew up the truth, throw up the pain. That's an interesting way to put phrases like hurt people hurt people. Like we're all really claws out out to get each other in this world because we're all hurting. Number 12, they sing about the frustrations with the status quo and not getting what you're owed in On My Way. They have punny lines like, paid the price, but I gave it all for free. They also say, which I've been thinking about a lot, be the change you want to see in the world, but it's only I that have changed. And the world stands unmoved. I feel that sometimes. It really speaks to the individualistic mentality of changing the world that isn't entirely flawed, but obviously lacks an important sense of community change necessary to truly have this sense of a just, fair world that just is not happening because the status quo is just telling individuals to do better. Number 13. This set of lines from On My Way, which seems to maybe unintentionally reference their old song, No Thanks. The world is a busy street, but the lights are out for me. Everything's trash. The festival's over. Don't need your pretty goodbye. No thanks. The festival reference seems intentional. They could have just said the party's over, but festival could refer to their historic time at Coachella. I love that symbolism. The world is a busy street, but your street light's out. It's an interesting way to describe how quickly people might pass you by, or you feel like you're being passed by or your light is dimming already, and people are driving far, out of sight, out of mind of it. Number 14. These lyrics in On My Way, which again, may unintentionally nod to a past song of theirs, bleed. Give me my standing ovation, so I can bow out. The door I was knocking on turned out to be a wall. Here's me waving goodbye with a bloody fist, sinning I'll be on my way. Refusing to give up until you get what you're owed, but then they do kind of give up. There's a lot to read into there. The door I was knocking on was a wall. That I felt. One door closes, another opens. Well, how about if that door is a wall? Number 15. The core of Epikai's appeal stays clear with this release. 
I think what they nailed is lyrics that seem at first nihilistic, but are mixed with philosophizing that prevents apathy being provoked. As Stephanie Karayuki put it in her interview, the mindset is like, maybe this will never be okay. It's not okay, but it might be okay. Who the heck knows? It's this sense of woe is me, kind of, but also no use staying woe is me. That's not productive. Like, things can never be better. I'm not learning from this, but the future is still mine, and I won't let other people take it away. So it's like a rejection of toxic positivity. The sense that just cheer up, smile more, everything's good and happy, look on the bright side. They don't have that mentality, but they don't have an everything is awful one as much as it seems on the surface. That negativity is undercut because they do have songs that tuck that vulnerability in. That sense that, no, I'm not giving up. I'm still going to be there to help people. I'm still going to be there to be a change in the world. I am still trying, but it's honoring your feelings too. Not painting too rosy of a picture. I think that's what's kept them so relevant for so many years. Summed up nicely on Catch. Even when you stumble and fall, dance in despair. And in On My Way, they have lots of anger at an unforgiving world. But also lines like, you wanted to hurt my soul, but you're only hurting my ears. Part of their work that I personally like is that it does what good art should do, which is get you to see things in a new way. Honestly, for me, I have, over time, really strengthened my belief in fate and everything happening for a reason and learning from everything in life, that kind of thing. I've kind of ingrained in myself some cautious optimism about everything and finding positive good in it. So it's interesting for me to hear their music now that I'm in a different place mentally than when I first started listening to them so many years ago. Because the music just sort of changed. Even though I'm the one who changed, it feels like the music is what changed. And now it carries different connotations to me. And it's just an interesting perspective shift that kind of pushes back on my view and just makes me grapple with tough existential questions. Because they don't believe that. They don't have music about everything being for a reason, being for a greater good. They have a sense that it might be okay, but it's not okay. And no thinking will make it so. It's just interesting to have your worldview questioned. And I don't mind. I think it's interesting. I still have my own worldview, but they show why their different state of mind is justifiable. Number 15 these lyrics with really interesting symbolic explanations for flowers. This is from On My Way. Birth becomes death. Where the flowers bloom, the snowflakes bloom. Side note, maybe that's the snow in the album cover. And light becomes darkness. You go back the way you came. A speck of dust buried in the ground. Made a flower bloom. Just have the hands of the world stomp on it. It's interesting that they chose to say hands stomp on it, not feet, because earlier they said they're handmade, not just self-made. I don't know, I just thought that was a maybe unintentional but interesting tie-in. And also how they talk about the circle of life, that a flower has two, everything, not just humans, the snow, everything kind of has a cycle of being light and dark. And we're all equal, we're all dust in the end, so let's make our time here count. That's how I would interpret it. But again, they don't think that rosy, so maybe the last part they would cut out and not say, so let's make our time count, but just say, so let's persevere, or something like that. And number 17, they end with God's Latte. This is a really interesting philosophical discussion here of spiritual beliefs, and in what happens for a reason, and in faith, it's really something. 
In this scene they set, Tableau wonders what kind of people end up in hell. Mithra later says, we all live in the same hell. Tableau has a lyric earlier in the album, basically saying he is a god, and now he's saying he's having a latte date with God. So it could be actually meant to represent him having a conversation with himself. That's one way to think about it. He says there's no one below and no one above, but everyone is trying to be God. Like everyone wants to be holier than thou, better than you, when in the end we're all equal. That's a great example of how their lyrics go from not nihilistic, but a sliver of light within them. The sense that things are not okay, but they could be. That maybe they don't think everything happens for a reason and they're angry at the world, but they also have the kind of values that can add a brightness to your life. Like a sense that everyone is equal. This sense of faith and belief in a better world being possible prevents their story from being nihilistic. They do believe something. They don't totally give up hope because that would imply kind of giving up on the premise that equality is a thing that could happen. More lyrics. I don't like my truth sweetened. I like it bitter. He smiled and said, what do you want to know? Ask me anything. I'm busy, but I have a few minutes free. What kind of people end up in hell? He couldn't answer for a while, then said time's up. He later says, it's a sin to be sane, which is really interesting to me. It's a sin to be sane. million different ways to interpret it. Again, I just think it's very clever that they chose to end it with the most thought-provoking of the songs. It's also interesting that it is just a succinct EP. They really had a big epic heist here, part one and two, grand finale of sorts. It could have been easily their final releases, a big career high, ending at an all-time high, but they had more to say. But the fact they had more to say, but still kept it short, I don't think that means they had more to say, but not tons more, but that they just are finding the right words for their current state of mind in a different way than they used to. Of course I could be reaching with a lot of my analyzing over specifics, but that's what makes good art. The ability to see it reflect your own personal life in your own way, have it become part of your life story by analyzing it like I am now. That's so cool. They really are just artful with every choice. I also think they can keep people guessing about everything from repetition to the title because they're releasing the music videos as of recording time they haven't yet. They will later. So after the initial buzz dies down a bit for the new album, they'll bring it back up. So that's a smart way to time it. I'll leave you with that to think about for now. Really, I just think this album is another classic in their discography that is much more than first meets the ear. Really just a good job with a lot more than it sounds to it. Thanks for hearing my thoughts on it, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.